Welcome to the Essential Southern Podcast, where we explore the rich history, culture, and traditions of the American South. Welcome to the Essential Southern Podcast. This is your host, Brian Planahan, and this podcast is sponsored by the Abbeville Institute. Go to abbevilleinstitute.org, A-B-B-E-V-I-L-L-E, institute.org to help us explore what is true and valuable in the Southern tradition. You can donate monthly, annually, or a one-time gift, and we do exist on your generous contributions alone. So again, if you like this podcast, please go and donate at the Institute, and also please share it around on social media and leave a review wherever you can. Leave a five-star review, leave a text review. If you're watching on YouTube, comment for the algorithm. That helps get more eyes and ears on the show. Well, one of the things that is so essential about a culture or a tradition is its music and its poetry. Now, we don't often think about that, but those two things really can drive the way people think about a people, a region, a section, a history, and the South is no different. In fact, the South has an advantage in these things. The South has perhaps the richest musical tradition in the entire world. And of course, their literature and poetry in many ways is unsurpassed by any other section in the United States. But we don't often get that rich cultural tradition as we take our college literature courses, our high school literature courses in the United States. We're all familiar with Southern music, but we often associate it with something else. Or we'll say, well, that's just country music, or that's, uh, you know, that's Southern rock. Um, what they don't realize is that virtually every musical tradition in the United States comes out of the South. It, it, it's, uh, it's the, it is the uh, cradle of all American, almost all, I should say, American musical traditions. Now, for years, people have known this about cultures and traditions. And I'm going to take the opportunity to give a little comparative history on the South. And then we're going to get into the individual we're going to talk about for the most part of this of this episode. And that would be Henry Timrod of South Carolina. In Ireland, for years, it was illegal to fly what's known as the Green Flag. After the Irish independence movement was put down, uh, the green flag was made illegal in Ireland. And for years, people would fly the green flag underground. They might have it at their pub. They might have it in their home. They would do things to show the green flag, but not in any way that would upset the authorities. It was kind of clandestine. It was hush-hush. And of course, the flag was made illegal because it was a symbol of defiance. The same thing can be said that's happening now to Confederate symbols. Confederate symbols are not illegal, but flying them or displaying them has become kind of taboo in the United States. And that's because some people have done some things with the flag that would make it to be, or symbols, to make them to seem uh, as symbols of tyranny or racism or something else. But the Irish simply kept flying their flags wherever they could. And the other thing they did is tell their songs, tell their stories, I should say, excuse me, through song and poetry. Even if the music, even if the songs were outlawed, they still did it. And those songs and that poetry would move through time. And eventually, by the time you get to the 20th century, and particularly the middle of the 20th century, it became fashionable for people to admire these Irish patriots of the 18th and 19th and 20th centuries, as they're opposing what they consider to be oppressive government. A cultural people 
a, a unique cultural people opposing an imperial power. And that imperial power, of course, was the English, ultimately Great Britain. So as we think about uh, music and poetry and what that means, there is this comparative history at play here. And I want to talk about Ireland in just two ways, and then we'll get into Timrod. In the 1960s, there was a popular Irish folk duo named Tommy Makem and Liam Clancy. Now, Liam Clancy was a part of what were known as the Clancy Brothers, and they brought in Tommy Makem. It was a four-person group back in the 1950s and 60s. And so moving forward, uh, as the Clancy Brothers disbanded, Makem and Clancy broke out on their own. And by the 1970s and 80s, they were performing across the world to packed, sold-out houses, singing old Irish folk tunes and new Irish folk tunes, more importantly, to uh, just people that would eat this stuff up. And there was one song in particular entitled Four Green Fields. This song was written by Tommy Makem in the 1960s, and people thought it was an old song of defiance to, uh, to the British. And it's about the four provinces of Ireland. And he used to always begin the tune. It was one of those songs, sometimes they would sing it as an encore, sometimes they would sing it right near the end of the show. And it would bring you to tears. It's such a beautiful song. It's sung in a very operatic way. It's, um, it's, uh, and it has a solemn tone to it, but it also has a sense of power and defiance and independence and strength. And there's something about the poems I'm going to talk about with Timrod in a few minutes that also exhibit the same qualities. But he always began, or at least not always, but he began some of the time. He began the song with a poem that's also from Ireland. And that poem was entitled uh, Requiem for the Croppies by Seamus Haney. And this is a very short little poem. Um, it was written about the Battle of Vinegar Hill on the 21st of June, 1798. And the Croppies were fighting for Irish independence from Britain. This is about the time the green flag was created. And so I want to I read this poem. It's just it's short, a couple of stanzas. And then also the lyrics to Four Green Fields. Or actually, I'm going to play that part. Uh, there's a part of that song. You're going to get the most powerful part of that song. It's such a beautiful song with this very strong chorus and very strong stanzas. I mean, it's just so good. But this particular poem reads thus. Requiem for the Croppies by Seamus Haney. And try to place this with the context of the South. He says, the pockets of our greatcoats full of barley, no kitchens on the run, no striking camp. We move quick and sudden in our own country. The priests lay behind ditches with the tramp. A people hardly marching on the hike. We found new tactics happening every day. We cut through reins and rider with the pike and stampede cattle into infantry. Then retreat through hedges where cavalry must be thrown. Until, on Vinegar Hill, the final conclave. Terrace thousands died shaking skies at cannon. 
The hillside blushed, soaked in our broken wave. They buried us without shroud or coffin. And in August, the barley grew up out of the grave. Now, there's no finer expression of heroism than that poem. Here you have men taking on cavalry, cannon, insurmountable odds, and they get mowed down. And they didn't bury the dead, they just left them. But the barley grew because it was in their pockets or their coats. It's a beautiful poem, and it shows you the vinegar hill that these people were still there because the barley was on the hill. That was the way to remember them. One did I have Said the fine old woman One did I have This proud old woman did say I had four I had fine, strong sons. They fought to save my jewels. They fought and died. And that was my grief, said she. What have I known 
the final one. What have I now? This proud old woman did say, I have four green fields. One of them's in bondage, in stranger's hands. Who try to take it from me? But my sons have sons And as brave as were their fathers My fourth green field Will again said she South Carolina has that kind of history and very much you know look at this Battle of Vinegar Hill just about 20 years before this you had Francis Marion and his men you had uh, Thomas Sumter and his men. You had these. Uh, you had these men, uh, and they were resisting the British as well in their own country, in the swamps. And you had the very famous Battle of Sullivan's Island, where this is where South Carolina gets their beautiful state flag. Uh, it, they were told the men who were defending Sullivan's Island, that they couldn't do it. They, they built a fort of palmetto logs. And you had the American General Charles Lee come down and tell these men that this isn't going to work. These logs aren't sufficient to withstand a bombardment from cannon from naval vessels. And South Carolinians told them to take a hike. They knew what they were doing, and they did it. And that Battle of Sullivan's Island was one of these grand moments in the history of early America. And that's why they had the palmetto flag on their palmetto tree on their flag and the moon, the crescent, Liberty Crescent. And that flag, again, is one of the greatest symbols of defiance to imperialism and tyranny that we have in the United States. Now, I don't see South Carolina changing their flag anytime soon. But as a result of that particular battle, South Carolinians wrote poems. They wrote songs. And one of those was written by Henry Timrod. Now, Henry Timrod was the often called the Poet Laureate of the Confederacy. He was a fairly well-known poet before the war, but it's during the war that Timrod became much more famous. He was writing some beautiful poems about the South, uh, about the Confederate dead. His, his early poems are very patriotic and triumphant. His later poems, of course, would become solemn and reflective as more and more men died. And I want to talk about two poems in particular. I'll get to that solemn part of 
of Timrod uh, in a minute. But this, uh, this seven-stanza poem entitled Carolina later became the South Carolina State song, Carolina, Carolina. Now, that song has not been done away with, but what they've done in South Carolina, which is what they're doing in other southern states, is they've added a song, which now is the, the real state song of South Carolina, at least people think that, because it doesn't have any stain from these Confederates. So you look at Maryland, My Maryland, and Old Virginia, and some of these tunes that have now been outlawed, essentially, because of modern woke sensibilities. But this song has not been outlawed, but it's been you know relegated to kind of, well, that's the old song of South Carolina. But this is a beautiful poem. And the state song, sung properly, and I'm going to, I have a, a clip of that for you, from a from a choir at a church, singing it in a way that will again move you practically to tears. And so after I do the, the after I read the poem, I'm going to play that little clip for you. It's not long. Play the little clip of them singing this song. And then we're going to talk about uh, Requiem for the Dead, which was written right after the war. And it was intended for uh, a poem to dedicate a memorial to Confederate dead in a cemetery. And if you want to know why they were putting up all of these memorials and statues, all you have to do is listen to Requiem for the Dead, and you'll get it. So let's start with, with Carolina. And by the way, Henry Timrod was admired around the world. In fact, even in the 20th century, uh, Bob Dylan, um, who the famous you know, folk artist actually wrote an album based on the poems of Henry Timrod. So not everyone has been bowled over with woke stupidity. Uh, and said, well, you can't like this guy because he was, you know, a, a Confederate poet. And he wrote all these things. Some of them are racist. And he did. I mean, there's, there's no question about that. Uh, but uh, no one captured the spirit of the South, in particular South Carolina, better uh, than Henry Timrod. I mean, there are others that did it well. But uh, Timrod was just so good at it. And, of course, he died as a young man, didn't live a full life. Um, many ways sick from the war, sick from uh, the emotional struggle, and of course the physical toll that it took. But here we go, Carolina by Henry Timrod. The despot treads thy sacred sands, thy pines give shelter to his bands, thy sons stand with idle hands, Carolina. He breathes at ease the airs of balm, he scorns the lances of thy palm. Oh, who shall break thy craven calm, Carolina? Thy ancient fame is growing dim. A spot is on thy garment's rim. Give to the winds thy battle hymn, Carolina. Now again, he's writing this in the early days of the war. And he's saying, look, here's, we've got the despot, the north, coming in. What are we going to do about it? Look at your heroic past, Carolina. What are we going to do about it? This is beautiful. This is the same kind of thing that Seamus Haney was writing about. It's the same kind of thing that writing about in Four Green Fields that I played for you. The beautiful part. I, I didn't recite the, the lyrics, but the beautiful part that I played for you. It's the same kind of thing. My sons have sons. that are brave as were their fathers. My fourth green field will bloom once again, said she. And this is what he's saying. What are we doing? Call on thy children of the hill. Wake swamp and river, coast and rill. Rouse all thy strength and all thy skill, Carolina. 
Cite wealth and science, trade and art, touch with thy fire the cautious mart, and pour thee through the people's heart, Carolina, till even the coward spurns his fears, and all thy fields and fens and mirrors shall bristle like thy palm with spears, Carolina. Hold up the glories of thy dead, the old, the period of time when they fought the British, the glories of thy dead, say how thy elder children bled, and point to Utah's battle bed, Carolina. Tell how the patriot's soul was tried, and what his dauntless breast defied, how Rutledge ruled and Lawrence died, Carolina. Cry till thy summons heard at last shall fall like Marion's bugle blast, re-echoed from the haunted past, Carolina. This is why this poem is not taught, because it's a call to action based on history. Listen to your ancestors, Carolina. Listen to the men who came before you. Don't sit here idle. Resist the tyrant. I hear a murmur of waves that grope their way through sunless caves, like bodies struggling in their graves, Carolina. And now it deepens, slow and grand, it swells as rolling to the land, an ocean broke upon thy sand, Carolina. Shout! Let it reach the startled Huns, and war with all thy festial guns. It is the answer of thy sons, Carolina. They will not wait to hear thee call. From Satcham's head and Sumter's wall resounds the voice of Hutton Hall, Carolina. No, thou hast not a stain, they say, nor or none save what the battle day shall wash and seas of blood away, Carolina. Thy skirts indeed the foe may part, thy robe be pierced with sword and dart. They shall not touch thy noble heart, Carolina. So even if you take us, even if you plunder us, and he's using some pretty graphic descriptions there, You're not going to touch our heart. You're not going to touch this noble heart, this patriotic heart. It's in the sons of Carolina, in the people of Carolina. Ere thou shalt own the tyrant's thrall, ten times ten thousand men must fall. Thy corpse may hearken to his call, Carolina. When by the beer and mournful throngs thy women chant, thy mortal wrongs. T'will be their own funeral songs, Carolina. From thy dead breast by ruffian's straw, no helpless child shall look to God. All shall be safe beyond thy sod, Carolina. Girt with such wills to do and bear, assured and right and mailed in prayer, thou wilt not bow thee to despair, Carolina. Throw thy bold banner to the breeze, front with thy ranks the threatening seas like thine own proud immoral trees, Carolina. Immoral trees, excuse me, Carolina. Fling down thy gauntlet to the Huns and roar the challenge from thy guns, then leave the future to thy sons, Carolina. It's a great poem of defiance. 
come out and fight the Huns. He's calling, he's calling the northerners Huns, the invaders. Take them out. Do what your ancestors have done and then leave your victory to your sons because they will also defend you. Timrod might have been overly optimistic here, but regardless, this is a beautiful expression of defiance. Using history and the glorious past and a spark for independence, just as Seamus Haney was saying in this poem, just as Tommy Macon was writing in Four Green Fields, it's amazing how those independence movements, how that spark of independence from a people is okay, but other sparks of independence from a people are not. But they're the same. And they're the same because it relies on a glorious past, on a heroic people, on a unique culture and tradition. And then, of course, we have Timrod's Ode. This is sung on the occasion of the decorating of the graves of the Confederate dead at Magnolia Cemetery in Charleston, South Carolina in 1866. Excuse me, no, no statue had been erected yet. They were just decorating the graves. And it's one of the most beautiful poems ever written. Uh, and should still be taught. But of course, these are graves now of traitors and bad people. And we can't teach these things anymore. 
So they have to go underground. Now, this is still available in Poetry Foundation. I mean, nobody's, nobody's banned these poems yet, but you can't publicly celebrate them anymore the way you used to. But this poem, again, is beautiful. Sweep, sleep sweetly in your humble graves. Sleep martyrs of a fallen cause. Though yet no marble column craves the pilgrim here to pause. There would be eventually. There's a beautiful Confederate memorial in Magnolia Cemetery. And seeds of laurels in the earth, the garlands of your fame are sown. And somewhere, waiting for its birth, the shaft is in the stone. Meanwhile, your sisters for the years which hold and trust your storied tombs bring all they now can give you, tears. And these memorial blooms. Small tributes, but your shades will smile as proudly on these wreaths today as when some cannon-molded pile shall overlook this bay. Stoop, angels, hither from the skies. There is no holier spot of ground than where defeated valor lies by morning beauty crowned. Short and beautiful. This is what a tradition and a culture needs. Poetry, music, they can ban everything, but they can't ban the songs. As long as we can sing the songs and have the literature and tell the stories, the tradition can live on. This heroic tradition of the South from the 18th to the 19th century into the 20th century. Southerners have always done their, their duty uh, in supporting uh, American military efforts. And there have been many, many Southern heroes. Uh, but these poems speak to that, both Ode and Carolina. And I find it wonderful when uh, you can hear something as beautiful as that choral uh, presentation on Carolina, Carolina. These are the kind of things that keep a tradition and a culture and a people together. And it's why they're part of the essential Southern tradition. See you next time on the Essential Southern Podcast.